Hello and welcome to the Leaders in Tech and E-Commerce podcast. I am your host, Andre Palomario, and I am the APEC Director for Elkut Global Executive Search. Our mission is to connect the tech in supply chain and e-commerce ecosystem in Asia and globally by bringing forward some of the most interesting stories about success and failure from leaders in the industry. I'm happy to have with us today Stefan Riedi. He is the founder and the CEO of Swiss RVM AG helping manufacturers, exporters, and importers to reveal inefficiencies in their supply chains by enabling transparent global trade via supply chain visibility solutions and real-time cargo monitoring services. Stefan has over 20 years of experience with innovative technologies and uh, business models in supply chain, which he gathered both by working for corporations and in the startup environment. RVM answers the need of organizations for more transparency and visibility in their supply chains. They reveal the flow of goods and finances in supply chain by providing an independent, real-time, end-to-end cargo monitoring and supply chain visibility service. RVM is offering a full, carefree service to customers that allows them to track all their global shipments regardless of the transportation mode or the logistics provider on one single platform. Hi Stefan, great to have you with us today. We are going through a crisis, both economic and humanitarian. We are expecting a global recession this year, and we already see huge disruption in supply chains across the globe and quite a lot of stress on shipping and logistic companies worldwide. Our aim today uh, with this discussion is to bring some light into the picture and share good case studies and examples of companies who are already doing a good job at facing the current challenges and making the best use of technologies like IoT, big data, machine learning. Now. Back to you. Uh, please tell us in a few words, how did you end up creating RVM more than 12 years ago and how does it add value to your clients? Well, Andre, it's a pleasure to be here on your podcast and uh, talking to you. Uh, you just mentioned the crisis that we have uh, right now and actually the start, the initial start of what RVM is doing goes also back to one of these crises, and that was in uh, 9-11 in uh, 2001. And uh, at that time, the US government was afraid that probably a next attack is going to happen via uh, a dirty container, so a container with a bomb inside coming into Long Beach, exploding there, and the whole infrastructure would be down. And with that, the whole supply chain into US would also be down. So the US government started to impose new regulations, and uh, some of the audience probably knows better than me about all, all these uh, regulations and requirements. And many companies like IBM at that time, GE, Lockheed Martin, and many others joined these initiatives and tried to come up with solutions. So 100% screen, cargo monitoring, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. And at that time, I was still with IBM. And I was running that, let's say, product, that initiative. We called it the IBM Secure Trade Lane. And in 2007, for different reasons, IBM stopped the initiative. I left IBM and in 2008 with uh, a few friends, we then founded the company RVM. So that's also the, the start of the company RVM goes back to also one of these crises, uh, which happened now roughly 20 years ago. Interesting. And uh, RVM, 12 years is, is definitely a long time of learning and long time of building a client portfolio, learning, adjusting. 
how would you say, what are the main challenges that you are trying to solve for your clients? Well, let me try, if, if I may, uh, I hope we have the time for that. Uh, let me try to give you an explanation uh, based on an example. So I'm from Switzerland. Huh? We're uh, famous for chocolates and you're in Singapore and I, like, I, I guess you like chocolate. So we somehow should produce now chocolates in Switzerland and send them to Singapore. But in order to get these chocolates produced, we need different ingredients. And uh, to make it a little bit shorter and not as complex, uh, we reduce it down to two ingredients. Let's say we bring in milk powder from the US and we bring in cacao beans from somewhere in South America. We send them to Switzerland to get the chocolates produced. Now, milk powder coming from, let's say, the uh, East Coast of US as a long uh, trip ahead, so a lot of things could happen. Uh, milk powder is sent in bags, and if a shock is happening while the container is in transit, the bags could rip, and then they're attracting insects, and uh, probably if milk powder is infiltrated with insects, you cannot use it for the production in Switzerland. On the other hand, you have these cacao beans coming from South America. They can be exposed to temperature and humidity variations. Condensation is happening in the container. Uh, that is spoiling the cacao beans. And also there, you cannot use them for production unless you go through an expensive extra drying process, etc. So you see already based on this, if you don't have the visibility, if you don't know where things are happening, where the product quality could be impacted while cargo is in transit, it can have a major impact on the production of your product, in our case, on the production of chocolates. So if you knew where these things are happening, you could start addressing the product quality. You can optimize logistics costs. You probably could optimize warehousing costs, but also, again, the production planning, insurance costs can be addressed, and the inventory carrying costs, just as a simple example. Now, once you have produced these chocolates in Switzerland, I want to send them to you, to Singapore, and I have to be able to control the, the, the chocolate or the temperature in the container between somewhere like 10 to 22 degrees, because if it goes below or above, again, it has an impact on chocolates. So again, there, I need to look into controlling the environment of my cargo to make sure that you received chocolates in the perfect quality. Now, let's assume that somewhere something happens in transit here. Suez Canal closed because of terroristic attack, because of whatever, catastrophe, etc. And again, I have an issue. If I got in this news in real time, I could still eventually take some different actions. I can now fly in instead some of the chocolates to satisfy immediate need in the market of Singapore. I can send the next container uh, immediately via the uh, Trans-Siberian road, so the Silk Road, to make sure that you get uh, quickly uh, new chocolates into Singapore. So also here, if you knew where things are happening and if you knew where your cargo actually is, you can start optimizing your virtual warehouse and uh, optimize the overall supply chain. But it all comes down to having visibility, reliable, trusted data so that you can better manage your 
complex global supply chain. So these are, let's say, in simple words, uh, in a simple example, the challenges we would like to address with our service that RVM is providing. No, that's an excellent uh, example. And uh, thank you for sharing. How can we bring this topic, um, maybe you can share on a specific example of how visibility and reliable data is helping companies during this time? Because we hear left and right supply chains disruption. Um, manufacturers are, are trying to stay afloat or they need to close down some facilities. How does this um, information help? Maybe you have a, a good example where we can um, have some learning out of it. You mean now during the corona crisis specifically? Exactly. Well, to, to be very honest uh, with you, I, I don't think if you don't use our service at the moment, uh, we cannot on short term help a company. Because either, either you have the service in place already and you start use, you started to use it already. You cannot just implement our service from, uh, I mean, theoretically we can, of course, but you need to have data. You need to have data over time to optimize your supply chain. So on short term, I don't think uh, you can uh, start optimizing or improving something. But some of our clients who have this in place, they, of course, uh, they see now where they have uh, the cargo floating around the whole world. So without giving, um, because I'm not really allowed to give away yes, names, of course, of course. and, and let, let's try to, to simplify again uh, the story here, uh, respectless of Corona crisis or not. But one of our clients, they, they are shipping uh, olives from Morocco to U.S., Morocco, uh, the olives are not really temperature sensitive. They're not really shock sensitive. They don't get stolen. But why would a client uh, monitor olives going from Morocco to US? The problem is he has, and here is again the correlation to the corona crisis, he has a, an obligation to deliver olives to, let's say, Subway or Pizza Hut in real time so uh, they can serve their clients. In order to do so, he needs to know where his cargo is, but he has no clue. He simply doesn't have any clue. One of the carrier tells him, yes, we have loaded the container, but in, in real time, we see this has not happened. So he's expecting his cargo at a certain date so he can deliver to, uh, to Pizza Hut, for example. But because this has not happened, he can't. And then he's faced with uh, penalty fees. And in order to prevent penalty fees in the future, he was ramping up warehousing on the uh, west and east coast of the US. And that's the tremendous cost. So if you knew now where your cargo is, so if we told this guy, no, your container has not been loaded and it will not arrive on time in Baltimore, but you have another container in Houston and you don't need that container in Houston immediately. So you could actually truck it to, to uh, Baltimore, let's say, and serve your client there. And by the time it has finally arrived in Baltimore, you can then uh, truck it up to the next destination where you need it. So also here again, and that's the, exactly the same case in the Corona crisis right now. If you knew where your cargo is, and if you knew about the status of your cargo, and if you see where you have options by train, by truck, etc., if you bring all this information together, you can now start optimizing your 
virtual warehouse in transit. And that's what is, in my thinking, where at least we can contribute something. That's what's needed right now in the corona crisis as well. I mean, again, we cannot, we cannot help out. Actually, if a car manufacturer is closed down because of corona crisis, there we cannot help. Huh? There we can't do anything. But there are still cars somewhere out there. And you might be able to optimize these cars, this virtual warehouse, which is out there. Got it. And Stefan, I'm sure you, you have clients uh, with operations globally. And there are some shifts um, that, that are happening uh, both in the mindset and both in operations. And there are some trends globally. Maybe you can share a bit what you are seeing from, from your side as, as a service provider in the tech space. Um, are, what are the industries that are most affected? What are the markets that, that you see uh, have, uh, have taken quite a big hit? You know, a lot of people are complaining that um, there is not enough toilet paper or panic buying. And um, are we expected to see any shortages when it comes to, to the food supply chain? Um. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know. Uh, I can only say we try to help some of our clients, which are in the food industry, to optimize, again, their supply chain by bringing in visibility, by showing them where cargo is that eventually gets spoiled, uh, where it's staying longer than expected, where they should take actions. That's all around optimizing. The supply as such... Uh, we we don't have any impact there. Got it. I mean, uh, optimization is is everything, and I think the companies that already had a good plan of um, of improving their um, their processes are all are in a good place now, or in a better place than the others that haven't focused so much on on technology and and, and optimization. I think uh, we also have to differentiate. I mean, at least from again from our perspective, as Arvim as a service provider for uh, international monitoring, supply chain optimization, etc. I think we have to differentiate between two levels. One is an operational level, uh, more tactics. Yeah? So, if if you look at the, the toilet paper example, I think. The warehouses are full huh, of toilet paper. It's just about the question, how do I quickly bring the toilet right. paper from the warehouse to the, to, the, to the store? So the last mile, basically, optimization and management. That's not where we as RVM are really in. This is on a tactical level and admire right. all the people who are optimizing or uh, managing now the warehouses on short notice, all the truck drivers, etc. I mean, they're doing a tremendous job at the moment. But that's on a, on a tactical level. Huh? Where we are, we're providing visibility on a global level. And that's more on a strategic level. So, again, how to optimize a virtual warehouse, how to finance cargo, how to improve insurance costs, uh, how to optimize your uh, routes, etc. That's more on a strategic level and not on a daily tactical operational level. Correct. That's an interesting topic that you brought now, Stefan, the, the financing part. I know RVM has um, RVM working capital financing solutions. Maybe you can tell, tell us about it and how does this help um, clients in general, specifically in, in these um, current times? 
Well, I think, again, here also the difference between current situation and uh, other situations is at the moment you have a crisis and everybody needs cash. So you probably right. can read it everywhere. Governments are pumping money into the market so that companies can survive because they're missing cash. So they need cash. In other situations, probably you want to have cash because you want to grow. You don't have enough money. You see a great market in front of you, but you don't have the cash to grow. And if you had that cash for growing, that, of course, would be optimal. And I don't know really if that figure is true, but I recently read that in global trade financing, there is roughly 1.9 trillion US dollar annually missing to finance uh, cargo in, 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 in transition. So if you had that, let's say, let's simplify it again. Let's say you had this 2 trillion US dollar annually cash available to now either address crisis or uh, address growth. If, you, if that money was available to companies, that would boost the, the economy tremendously. And that's what we'd li like to address. So if you are an exporter of China, yes. let's say, and you're sending cargo to Walmart in US, your cargo basically is on your balance sheet for two, three months in transit and then for another two, three months uh, because of the payment terms and conditions. So you have six months of cash blocked and somewhere on your balance sheet you cannot work with. And if that money was available to you at the moment that you start sending the cargo or at the moment that you start producing that would give cash to these companies to actually, again, grow or in today's situation, uh, address the crisis situation. And that's where we want to help. Definitely, two trillion is a, is a huge, it's a huge number. And um, I can imagine that this uh, particular product from your portfolio, the, the financing solution, is, is only going to grow even, even more in this period. Um, I'm sure... Quite a few of the clients, and, and you have to, to be on a constant connection and contact with your clients, are asking different uh, questions, are facing different challenges. What are some of the advice or some of the um, priorities that you advise your, your clients to focus on during this period? Look, the, what we realize, again, with our service, with our overall service, there is not one specific uh, question or challenge these companies are facing. It really depends on whom you're talking to. So is it now the logistics manager you're talking to? Is it the quality manager you're talking to? Is it the security guy? Is it the supply chain manager? Is it the finance guy? Is it the operations guy? All of them have separate challenges. And I really hope that somewhere in the future, supply chain management, if we can summarize it under this topic, will yes. become a board topic in the future. So uh, to, to make it a little bit black and white, I think supply chain management is still somewhere either reporting to IT or reporting to logistics, but actually supply chain management is that function that is combining all these different aspects in a company and should actually be positioned on a board level because it helps your company to survive and growth. So it's a supply chain manager or whatever the title then is going to be, who is looking at the impact between cost, warehousing, performance, financing, etc. And that guy needs to have not a, a silo thinking uh, skill, 
but a more broad end-to-end point of view thinking skill. And that's, that's probably something we have to bring into the market. So the challenges we hear at the moment is like, uh, how, if you talk to the logistics manager only, how can it cheaply bring uh, cargo from one place to the other? And yes. there you have uh, freight marketplaces, etc., popping up, which compare different costs, and then you can book quickly, etc. But that's what, just one aspect. We, we had a client where we initially talked to the logistics manager. And uh, again, his job was to send cargo container from A to B for the cheapest uh, price possible. And he did a great job. So what he did is he had cargo coming from Hungary, going to a port in Hungary. From there, it went to Alexandria in Egypt. From there, it went to Spain. From Spain, it went to Hamburg. From Hamburg, it went to Toronto and then to the final destination. For, let's say, $700. Cheap, excellent job. His measurement addressed. What he didn't know is that the lifetime of the product was somewhere around 90 days. And because he took that route, that cheapest route, the uh, time in transit was already somewhere around 70 days. So if you have a product lifetime of 90 days and your transit time is already 70 days, you will miss the other target of having a product in the shelf of roughly 80% of the lifetime. But he didn't know. He was not measured based on that. So again, if you had a supply chain manager overall who could look at all these different parameters, what is now really needed? Where could I optimize? Does it have an impact on the product quality? Does it have an impact on logistics costs? Does it have an impact on warehousing costs? Does it have an impact on financing? And by the way, what about the, the, the carbon footprint, greenhouse impact? If you had an overall view on your supply chain, you could start optimizing in the benefit of the company. I think that's, that's what's needed in the future. So that's, that's the challenge we have to address. Correct. I think if there is a silver lining in this situation in, uh, and in our context is that supply chain as a function and supply chain leaders and managers will come at the forefront and will become even more important in the long term for, for organizations across the globe. And uh, now you touched upon another interesting topic, which is the carbon footprint. Um, we, might, we might say that uh, because of the economic slowdown, the carbon footprint globally has, has been reducing and uh, we even see some examples of, of city clearing uh, their skies and, and so on. But uh, I know from, from your company's perspective, you tackle this topic quite a lot. And uh, I think you have some interesting examples of how technology, IoT uh, data can help organizations lower or better manage their, their carbon footprint. Can, can you share a bit more here? Yes. So... First of all, I, I think it still does not have the importance in managing supply chains as it should have. Uh, the carbon footprint is still a topic that most companies just use for marketing purposes to say, okay, I'm green. Yes, we take care about cargo, uh, about uh, carbon footprint, but I haven't really seen yet a business model out there which says, I can save so much CO2, that means I can also save that cost, or I can do so much more revenue. I, I haven't seen that yet, but that doesn't mean that we don't have to still look at it and, and start working on it. And that was our intention. 
Because what we said is you can go today to, I don't know, uh, I, again, I don't want to name any names, companies. Okay. You could yeah. go to a logistics company or carrier or whatever, and they have some simple uh, carbon footprint calculations. And what they do is they take between two points, they take the average distance, and uh, then they cal calculate based on an average weight, uh, the average CO2. That's what they do. And what we said is we can probably do that better because, because of our real-time monitoring, we know the position of a container at any time or a truck, whatever it is, eh? or a train. So we know the position at any time and therefore we can also calculate, calculate the real distance the cargo is taking per mode at any time. So I know exactly from the factory to the rail terminal, it went by truck and the truck was driving for half an hour and it took him 10 kilometers, for example. Then we know the train from the train station to the port was 250 kilometers. Uh, we know the exact distance and so on. And based on the mode of transport because and based on the uh, real distance and based on the real weight, we can now calculate the CO2. Of course, we're also doing uh, assumptions because, I mean, if a container then was loaded on a vessel and uh, the vessel is a, I don't know, 20,000 TU vessel, I mean, we, we don't know if they're really 20,000 TU on that vessel or only Correct. one. Yeah? Yeah. If it was only one container, then, of course, the CO2 emission for that one specific container would be much higher than if it was fully booked. So... Also there, there are, of course, assumptions, but we're getting closer to the real calculation of the, or the, 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 yeah, the real CO2 emission. And now we're, we're giving that, we're calculating that per route for our clients. And they can now see, if I go, again, simple example from Switzerland to Singapore, I have two different routes. One route is producing that much CO2. The other route is producing that much CO2. I can, I, I can make a decision now. Which one do I want to take? Correct. I, I think there is a lack of accuracy and, and data around this topic. And like you said, companies didn't and don't pay enough attention to it. And I think we will, uh, sooner or later, we will be forced to do it either by, by uh, policies and governments, either by the circumstances of the environment and so on. But um, I wanted to bring the discussion uh, focused a bit internally um, on, on RVM as a company. So what are the priorities for the company for the next three, uh, three to six months? What are you uh, really want to, to achieve or what, what are you really thinking that uh, is important? Well, I think like for any other company, for us as well, the Corona crisis is the first thing that we have to address and survive and uh, uh, properly manage. Because I mean, also here, yeah, we're, we are seeing clients of ours who stop shipping. If you take again, car manufacturers and they don't yeah. produce anymore, of course they don't ship anymore. And therefore uh, we're missing revenue because we do not monitor their, their cargo. So also, of course, we are affected by the Corona crisis, and we have to address that and 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 manage our own situation. Uh, but then, 
again, I think that especially, I think uh, uh, Churchill once said, never waste a good crisis. So we should, we should take now the lead and communicate our findings and our vision even more to all these companies out there. Because, again, if, if you go back what we discussed initially, I think today's supply chain, they're managed at the edge of what is actually possible. So you cannot, you cannot tweak more of, of, of the situation or, or the, your capabilities today. The processes are sometimes 300 years ago, uh, old, uh, managing global supply chains with all the bill of ladings, et cetera, et cetera. And this situation becomes, in a crisis, becomes clear again. So now uh, you see how difficult it's going to be if something is happening at the moment. People are spoiled. They're, they they think everything works like in the past, and they think every every global supply chain is managed like Amazon. Huh? I, I order now, and in two hours, the postman is ringing on the door and delivers the good. But again, that's more on the last mile. That's on the on the um, on the tactical level. Globally, we are not in that situation. And globally, supply chains are, as I said before, sometimes processes are three hundred years old. And we now, based on this crisis, it becomes obvious again. And we now have the cha chance to change that. And that's something we would like to work on in the next six months. So. Use the situation, supply chain managers or operations guys have realized, oh, here we have really a challenge in our managing our supply chain, and we could change it now. And we as RVM, we could help them get back in control. So that's definitely something we would like to work on in the next six months. Got it. And on the, on the long term, before this whole situation happened, I'm sure that, that you had, um, and you still have quite ambitious goals and ambitious uh, milestones for the company. Um, do you still define RVM as a startup? I mean, I know it, it has been a long time coming and there have been, uh, like the, we, we spoke more than a decade um, of the company's uh, evol evolution, but what are the, the objectives in the next five years, so to speak? Um. I mean, if you if you take the definition of a startup, then we're probably not a startup anymore. We have uh, too many employees for being a startup, and uh, we are already too old for being a startup. Correct. What I would like to keep is the spirit of a startup company inside our company, and I think that will also stay the, the case for the next five to ten years, because all the things that we need want to achieve the, to accomplish our our vision requires continuously the startup spirit and the startup behavior so what we do right now is just again the start of of a long journey so we we're we're now bringing in visibility by monitoring cargo in real time but that's just like what we call our core service. Uh, if, if you want to do other things on top, other services on top, you need to have trusted, reliable data from the edge of the network. So I need to know where the cargo is and I need to be 100% sure that this is correct, reliable data. And I need to know about the status of the cargo itself. And only if I have that trusted, reliable data, I can start offering other 
supply chain optimization uh, services on top, like uh, um, what we mentioned before, working capital services, so financing. I mean, there, there would be no, no bank, no financial institution giving money to you if you, not, if you couldn't say with 100% reliability, here the cargo is and the status is okay. Uh, if, you, if you wanted to offer such a service, but you're depending on another data provider who is depending on another data provider and who is depending again on another data provider, that's not reliable data. You would never trust the data and therefore you would never finance it. So we need to make sure that we collect our own data that we're trusting and then we can start offering the other services on top, value-adding services. And that's what we're doing right now. So let's say this kind of first startup company is doing that now. Working capital services, uh, risk management services, together with insurance on demand, etc., or even more uh, services on top. That's every time like a new startup that you start creating within your own company. So I think we will stay a startup for the next five to 10 years. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That's a, that's a great uh, perspective on it. And wanted to take the topic further on um, hiring. So you've been in, in a leadership position for, for quite some, some time now. And like you mentioned before, having the culture or the spirit of a startup is important for you. We are in the hiring business, right? So I was curious from a leadership perspective, how do you select or what are the important elements that you look at when you're considering hiring for the company or even for your direct reporting team? That's a, a, a real challenge, to be honest. So whenever, whenever I'm talking to supply chain managers and say, look, I have a solution for you, a service for you, I can help you, etc." I think here, I also sometimes would like to have some help and support. <laughs> uh, but on the, I mean, if you, for, if you, for example, look at, at developers, software developers, it's just a dried out market. We, we can hardly find software developers. Eh? Uh, so sometimes you have to challenge that the, the experienced and skilled people are not there. So that's one of the things. The other thing is then, and let's say we would hire somebody for our operations team. I'm, of course, fully depending on our CEO because he, he yes. knows who he has to hire. But at the end, I still want to have the final interview. I want to, I, I, I got to learn that I have to trust my gut feeling. So you talk to somebody and within, I don't know, a minute or even within seconds, you realize this person fits into our team or doesn't fit into our team. And I think that's, I don't know if this is wise to do or not, but from from my uh, personal experience over the last years, that's probably the best way to go. And yeah, if 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 I if at the end if I, I look at somebody and I have a first conversation, doesn't have to be about uh, the, the skills themselves, eh, about where they specialized in, because I I would never be able to challenge them there, and it's not my expertise. Through the conversation, if I realize this person fits into our culture, my gut feeling says yes, then uh, we're on the right track. Mm. 
it's it's interesting. But when you think about gut feeling, I'm sure it, it's uh, it's uh, already have been it's it has been uh, tested and it's an educated gut feeling, so to speak. I think you have quite a few elements that indicate a person's character or values that would fit in the culture. What are those important elements? Because everybody um, has their own priorities when it comes to the company's uh, culture and, and uh, values. What are yours? Honestly, I don't know. I think, and but, but I think this is something, as you said, it's an educated gut feeling. So over the years, you met so many people and you have hired people and you worked with other people. And through that, you gained experience. And somehow, maybe you can uh, scientifically analyze that, but somehow in your brain, in your gut, etc., you, you, you saved those, all these experiences you made and the impressions you got. And based on those, you then make this <laughs> experience gut feeling. If you ask me to write down what are the criteria, I probably wouldn't know yeah. what what a leader uh, is is uh, yeah what the characteristic is of a leader. So he has that experience. He he feels it, and uh, and that's why that's why he can uh, build a good team around himself. I agree. Wanted to take again. The discussion within the company. Uh, everybody's impacted and work remotely or working from home is a big topic. How do you tackle this? Uh, what are some, some tips that, that you can give um, any our audience around how to do it efficiently? efficiently? So first of all, I think we're in the lucky situation that we're all used already to uh, work remotely from home while uh, traveling, etc. So our company is, uh, ex with a few exceptions, is built on such uh, virtual cooperation already. So I was sometimes wondering, uh, now that you're asking this question again, how other companies do that who are not experienced, uh, who simply do not have, the, the, for example, networks at home or a screen at home or whatever, huh, where people are not used to that and now suddenly they have to do that. I think that's a big challenge. Also, if you don't uh, simply, yeah, if you don't have a desk at home where you can put your laptop and your screen, or uh, nowadays with the kids at home because you don't have your separate room or separate office, that's a big challenge. Yeah, I agree, that's a huge challenge. So, luckily, we we are already used to that. So, our our employees they they are used to do work from home. Uh, we are supporting that, of course. Uh, they they have mobile phones. They are equipped. They have an internet connection. Everything there. But in our situation, what I see more challenging is now that everybody is not in the office anymore, and it's coming back to the startup feeling. In 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 such an environment where you have to be innovative, I still believe in. New ideas and good ideas are uh, are start up when you talk to each other and when you listen to each other. So in our office, in the physical office, it's an open space office. And even if our COO talks or when I talk to somebody, others can hear it. And even if you're not actively listening it, you will pick up what the others are talking about. And suddenly... Either you remember two days later about, oh, this conversation went on, or while they're talking, suddenly an idea pops up in your mind, and you go to that guy 
or to that person and, and, and you start talking. So that's how innovation starts in a, in a company and that, that's how you're, you're making from the idea to, to, to a, a service, to a product. And if you don't have that anymore, if you don't have that situation anymore where people can talk to each other, then uh, we will face a challenge. And hopefully we only have that challenge in the next two, three months and not any longer. But that would, that would have a terrible impact on, 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 on the innovation, the power of innovation in our company. I agree. Uh, but do you think, I mean, there, there are companies um, that are fully remote, uh, like WordPress, they, they, they are fully distributed around the globe and they came up with some ideas of having different blogs or forums where people can uh, communicate to each other in, a, in an open space, sort of, but virtually. I don't know if there is a possibility to do it uh, in, in other companies' cases. But uh, taking the discussion to, to the advice part of it. So you've been an entrepreneur for a long time, and we have quite a big chunk of our audience who are either thinking or thinking of becoming or already um, have their own um, ventures, their own entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs inside companies. What are or what is the best piece of advice that you have received throughout your entrepreneurial career? <laughs> um, did you did you hear that interview with uh, the, the the trainer of uh, I think it's Liverpool in in yeah, Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And he was asked a similar kind of question, and he said, uh, "I mean, I'm a simple guy with a cap on, and you are asking for advice. I mean, sorry, I can't do that." So the same. I think it's the same same with me. I mean, I'm I'm running our company. It's my baby, and I grew up with it. And I try to manage in the best way I I think I have to do. Giving advice to others out there, I I would never dare to do so. I would never dare to do so. I, I think it's again based on on the experience I made working with many different people and people I admired and that's also then part of the experience you make and that you probably want to reuse it's stay humble listen and I I, I would never say that I'm the big innovator that I'm like Steve Jobs and and I'm the greatest and best etc it's my team and Maybe a, a funny experience I once, once made. We had we had a, a client visiting us, uh, so C level people coming to our office. I had my team sitting in the uh, in the team room there, and I was serving coffee. So I went to the kitchen, I picked up the coffee, I served mineral water, etc. And, and the guys, the CEO of that company we were talking to, who was really surprised, and he said, "What the CEO is serving coffee?" And I said, "Yes." I mean, I have to make my team feel comfortable. It's not about me. It's about my team. My team is working with you. So if my team feels comfortable and if my team spends the, uh, the, the, the time with you, then we reach the best out of it. It's not about me. And I think that's something I experienced from people I admired in the past and, and I'm still admiring. These people are humble. They're... M- 100% honest and they try to serve others than making benefit out of them. And if, if that is an advice, then yeah, take it as an advice. Excellent. 
it's an excellent story of um, of serving the team of, of, and being humble, the one with the coffee and mineral water. Yeah, uh, actually, you should yeah. turn around the organization. You should turn around. Huh? So it's not always on the top, the CEO or the board. It's actually vice versa. On the top, you have your team. And the team is, is skilled and experienced. And if they feel comfortable, then, uh, then you get the best out of it. And I have to serve my team. Yes, as a leader, that's that's um, the first priority. And and taking the discussion to um, to the final question, um, Stefan, you were writing in uh, in your LinkedIn. I, I was um, I was reading it. In any crisis, don't panic and don't bury your head in the sand. Look up to the challenges ahead and focus as much as possible on the things within your control. What is your message? And and maybe um, what should supply chain professional expect in the next few months and how is this connected to, to what you wrote there in LinkedIn? Look, it's, it's, it's something that I have to take serious myself every, every day. If I'm really buried in a daily operations and uh, activities, I don't have the time to step back and get an overview sometimes. And that's what you actually should do. So, for example, I'm going for, for a run every, every morning, early in the morning. Uh, I go for a run. And during that time, I don't know why, but your brain is freeing up and, and you see everything from distance. Even if I get up and I'm frustrated and, and I think, oh, shit, another bad day in front of me. As soon as I've done my run... I come back and I'm freed up and I see everything in, in a, a little bit of distance and, and in a different point of view. And I think that's what you should achieve. So the Corona crisis, of course, it's a crisis. And of course, it has an impact. And of course, it, it is challenging for many, many people. But if you step back, then you probably see these, these opportunities. As, again, as, as I, I mentioned before quickly about Churchill, never waste a good crisis. So what are we actually doing out of it? Now it's the time. I mean, all these, if, if again, I go back to our specific situation at RVM, and as I mentioned, we are more working on a, on a strategic level. Now it's the time to go and talk to the COO or to the supply chain vice president, etc. Because these guys, at the moment, they can't do anything. Again, it's a truck driver. It's the warehousing manager. They have to work right now, and they do an excellent job. But the top guys, at the moment, they can't do anything. They have the time now to sit back or they should at the moment sit back a little bit and rethink how to manage supply chains in the future. That's what I mean. Don't put uh, your hand in the sand. Look up at the moment and, and try to take the, the actions for improving your supply chain now in the future. And we can help there. We can bring in that visibility and through the visibility, the control, the, the working capital services, risk management, etc. Thank you very much, Stefan. It was um, it was a pleasure to to listen to your perspective, and uh, yeah, I hope it, there is there is a, a good silver lining nowadays, and uh, this crisis will be over soon. And out of it, more more power to the supply chain people, and more power to 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 our uh, managers and, and leaders in this space who can can change organization more. Thank you again. Well, thanks to you. It was a big pleasure, and it went too quick. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. For all the show notes and information discussed in the episode, please follow elkatglobal.com slash podcast. Also, if you found this interesting, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts from.